welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. me about I've been just coughing this past two weeks I've had like I've had hives every day I like sprained my neck um, I have a cold I have a dry cough and so as I preach as I share God's word if you can just pray for me um, that'd, that'd be awesome I'd really appreciate that um, right now we're in Advent and if you're not sure what Advent means it means the beginning of something or we're in a season of expectation for a lot of you guys you guys probably gone through a really tough season, maybe depression, maybe loneliness, anxiety, maybe some of you guys have suicidal thoughts. And I believe that God in this season wants to bring healing. He wants to bring reconciliation. He wants to bring a deep sense of God's peace and love and joy to you guys. And in Matthew chapter 123, it says, Behold, a son will be born, and they shall call him Emmanuel. God with us. And so you might see suffering, but God sees testimony. You might see darkness, but God sees you rising into light. You might see death, but God sees a resurrection about to happen. And so in this Advent season, expect and be reassured that God is with us, that he is working everything out for your good, for my good, and for his glory. So if you're new here today, my name's uh, Daniel. I'm one of the leaders here at Trinity Life. And we've been going through this series on spiritual warfare. We've preached on things like uprising destiny, uprising unity, uprising intimacy. And today I'll be preaching on uprising strength. And before we start, I want to encourage you guys in something. A couple of weeks ago, Mike was preaching and it was getting like really good. And I can tell the people around me were getting excited and somebody next to me, who's, whose name I won't name, but they're in this area, <laughs> like they were about to clap, and they did this. <sighs> and like they just didn't commit. And so like I want to encourage you guys, if you want to like clap, if you want to say amen, if you want to like stand up and like shout hallelujah, thank you Jesus, like, like go ahead, you know? And so we just, we want to celebrate like what? <laughs> Someone, someone in the back. Like, I might even get on top of the stage and, like, nosedive in and just crowd surf. But, yeah, we just want to celebrate, like, what God is doing. And so, yeah, um, yeah God wants us to experience more of his goodness today. And so let's, let's jump into the sermon. Uh, a, few, <laughs> a, few, uh, a few, I think a few months ago, we had our, our marriage sermon, our marriage conference, and me and a few of the other um, people here, we are in charge of, of childcare. And so I put myself in charge of Blakely, Adam and Emily's two-year-old now. And, oh, what did I say? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Spiritual niece, I don't know. Um, and so it's, it's nap time. And I'm like, okay, like, this is going to be easy. I can do this dad thing. Like, what, like, what could go wrong, right? And you parents know, like, exactly where, where this is going and so I, I, um, like I pick her up, and she sort of looks at me 
like, because I'm not her dad, and it's like nap time. And so I'm like, okay, whatever, let's, let's get over the awkwardness. So I like hold her, and there's, uh, there's a couple books that we start to go through. And I don't know what it is about child, children books. They're like this thick. They're, they're like five pages, and the pages are this thick. The, it's like 90s font size, and, and there's like five words on each page. And so I do all the voices. I, I do all the actions, and I, and I rip through these books in like two minutes. And I look at it, and I'm like, okay, like what do, I, what do I do now? So I actually read through the books a second time. And so like five minutes have passed, and I look at it, and I'm like, Oh, okay, she doesn't look like she's going to sleep yet. And so, okay, maybe I'll just pick her up and I'll put her in, um, I'll put her in the, what is that thing called? A carriage? A what? A baby bed? I don't know. One of those things. A bad, I don't know what you call it. So we, I put her in there and I was like, ah, oh, like what, like what would a dad do in, in this, in this moment? And so I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm not the greatest singer, but I start singing hymns to her. I start singing like uh, Amazing Grace and how deep the Father's love. Those are the only words I know of, of, of those songs. And so I just sing those over and over again, probably for like 15 minutes straight. And she's not budging, like not one bit. And so I was like, okay, technology. I mean, we, this is not going to fail. Pull out my phone, uh, pull Spotify, and I start playing. I look up a playlist of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. One hour, okay? So I start playing it. And finally, after like 25 minutes, she starts to like doze off. So she starts doing this, and then she's getting like lower and lower, and I'm like, oh, she's about to fall asleep, like, I, I, like this is going to be a victory. And she literally does this for like an hour straight. No joke, and she, doesn't, and she doesn't go to sleep. And what ends up happening is, I fall asleep. <laughs> I end up passing out. And we're in this spiritual battle right now, where the, we're... We're supposed to be awake and alert and ready to fight. But some of you are like Blakely. We're sort of half awake and half asleep. You sort of get this spiritual war thing, but you don't really think that it affects you. For others, you're like me. You've completely fallen asleep. You don't even consider that the enemy is attacking you. And to be honest, the enemy's okay with both. He doesn't want alert, prepared, equipped, and trained soldiers ready for battle. And even though Apostle Paul is giving us the armor, which include things like unity, faith, hope, peace, truth, we actually, deliberately not to, we actually deliberately choose not to pick it up and put it on. We don't train our spiritual muscles. We don't join a body life group. We don't serve the church. We don't pray. We don't read scripture. We don't meditate. And if we're honest... They just aren't priorities. And a lot of you are like somebody in the middle of a battle where the enemy is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And you're walking around with no sword, no shield, no helmet, no boots, and then you wonder why you lose the battle majority of the time. Are you losing a battle right now in this season? Are there sins that you've been struggling with for, for months and months and months, maybe even years, are you losing the battle against the lies of the enemy? And what Paul wants to do in these next few verses is to show us the glorious truth that when we put on the armor of God, we can stand, we can be confident, we can be courageous, we can be bold, and we can defeat the enemy. 
And so here's our bottom line for today. Strength comes from standing in the Lord, while weakness comes from standing in yourself. Strength comes from standing in the Lord, while weakness comes from standing in yourself. So uh, let's, yeah, let's jump into the passage. Uh, the, the verses I'm preaching on, uh, at the beginning it says, therefore. And so I don't want to start there right away. I want to give you guys sort of a snapshot of what Apostle Paul has talked about so far in Ephesians so that we have a good amount of context and meat and we see the direction that he wants to take us. And so try to see uh, the, the pastoring heart of Paul. Like he's in prison, he's in Rome, where he's been beaten, flogged, persecuted, he's by himself, he could be killed any minute. And his heart isn't like most of us, where we would be praying, God, save me. God, get me out of here. God, why is this happening? But rather his heart is, God, show how faithful you are to your people. God, make your people holy. God, equip your people for victory. But he understands that there's a war waging against God and God's people. And he is trying to give us the spiritual tools we need as a church in order to stand firm. And so Paul in the first three chapters in Ephesians talks about the gospel. God gives grace to us. God shows mercy to us. God chooses us. God forgives us. God gives us every spiritual blessing. God sent his son Jesus to die for us. This is the type of God we follow. A loving, a kind, a gracious, a personal God. A God who is so close and personal that he'd leave heaven to come to earth and to die for your sins and my sins. Ephesians 2 says this. I think we have it right here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not by your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so Paul in the first three chapters talks about the gospel, and in chapters four, five, and six, he talks about what we do in response to that. He talks to the church. He talks to wives and husbands. He talks to parents and children. He talks to masters and slaves. And now he was saying, because you are children of God, because you are a light for the gospel, because you are a threat to darkness and everything evil, you need spiritual armor in order to stand firm against Satan and his demons. In other words, when you start living out a life, hearing God, trusting God, and obeying God, you will be a prime target for the enemy. And so Paul says here, this is what you need in order to stand firm in strength. And just like a symphony, everything he talked about so far comes to a rising climax in chapter 610 where Mike preached last week. And Paul says, finally, imagine Trinity life standing in a line and they're about to go into battle. And, and, and Apostle Paul's like a commander or a, a general. And he says, finally, Trinity life church, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, but put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Which now brings us to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. Not just some of it, but all of it. Not just the boots, not just the belt, not just the helmet, but every single piece that God gives us. This is something that we have to be intentional about every single day. Most of us are okay with not putting on prayer or putting on scripture, 
or putting on truth. Instead, we're putting on more followers on Instagram. We're putting on more social media likes. We're putting on more entertainment. What are you guys putting on besides the armor of God every day? The number one place the enemy attacks us in our, is in our minds. The enemy influences our culture, our music, our movies, the media we watch. The enemy influences our government, our country leaders, and the people around us. And so if the enemy is attacking our minds and thoughts, what are you putting on besides the armor of God? What movies are you watching? What music are you listening to? What books are you reading? What are you filling your minds with? Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. It shouldn't matter if it's a popular trend. It shouldn't matter if the song has a good beat. It shouldn't matter if the plot is entertaining. Is it God-honoring? Is it beneficial for you? There have been so many times where I've had to watch movies with people and with friends, Christian friends, pastors, and I've had to say, hey, I don't think this is, this is good for us. I don't think we should be watching this. Or there have been times where I've been at weddings and there'd be, exp- these are weddings of, of people. I was just going to say names, but <laughs> of people and Christians and, we, and, and everybody is getting drunk, and we're listening to sexually explicit music. That's, there's cussing, there's, a, there's degrading of men and women, there's stuff about drugs and alcohol. And we're enjoying this at a wedding where it's supposed to honor God. There have been times where I've watched, uh, and I've been in movie theaters where I've sat there with other pastors and other believers and youth. The first 20 minutes of the movie, I knew that this wasn't good for, for my soul and for our souls. And so I had to walk out of movie theaters and just and sit there for like an hour and just wait till, wait till it ended. So when we say yes to Jesus, we say no to ungodliness. When we say yes to Jesus, we say no to the world. When we say yes to Jesus, we say no to following the culture, even if it means standing alone. Are you willing to do that? There have been so many times where I've been laughed at or I've had to stand alone for Jesus. And sometimes that's how it's going to feel. It's going to feel like the whole world, even sadly, your Christian brothers that are around you are against you. And the enemy is all over that. But we stand and we fight. And so we need to be intentional about putting on the whole armor of God every single day. Instead of being content and dying a slow spiritual death by putting on more of the world. So Paul tells us to be intentional about putting on the armor of God. And then he says, so that we can withstand the evil day. This is verse 13, um, the latter part. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. What is the evil day of Paul is talking about? The evil day is every, or the evil day is all the times we're living in right now, the present day. The evil day is every day after the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. The evil day is every day now until revelation, until Christ returns. We live in a time where our society has overdosed on sin and ungodliness. And I believe the three main ways the enemy attacks and tempts us 
is found in 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so what are these things? I'll start with, what is the lust of the flesh? It's gossip, it's slander, it's physical or verbal violence, drug abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, all addiction, greed, materialism, all sexual immorality, which include pornographic movies, pornographic novels, pornographic TV shows, pornographic music, adultery, sex before marriage, and so on. What is the lust of the eyes? It's looking at things that don't belong to us and wanting it in an inordinate and unhealthy way. It's saying that if I just have this, I will have real worth and real meaning. Some example of things we lust after with our eyes are materialism, money, power, status, and other people's possessions. And then lastly, the pride of life. There's this uh, episode in the, in the Simpsons where Homer, <laughs> Homer asks Bart to say grace. And this is, what, this is what Bart says. We paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> That's the pride of life. It's about giving yourself credit when it should go to God. It's about you wanting status or power to rule over people. It's you desiring to feel more valued and more important than others around you. It's the puffing up of the ego. It's always looking down at people. This is the pride of life. So these are the evils, evil days that Paul is saying that we are living in right now. These are the main ways that the enemy tries to attack and tempt us. The latter part of verse 13c says this, having done all to stand firm. So Paul says to put on the armor of God every day because our day is evil and we are at war with a formidable enemy. And then he says, having done all to stand firm. The word stand is a multifaceted, glorious truth. And I'm hoping that the Spirit will encourage, convict, and strengthen your faith in this moment. And the word stand means at least three things. First, it means, uh, well, Remember that this letter is to a body of believers. And the word stand means that we don't, or we don't stand or fight alone, but we rise in unity and fight together. The enemy loves disunity. If he can get the whole world to see that the church is just like the world, living in gossip, in strife, in bitterness, in unforgiveness, in disunity, people will be turned off by the church. And if the primary means to which the world hears and experiences the gospel of Jesus Christ, which it is, but is living in disunity, people will be turned off. The greatest display of testimony and strength is when we have all sorts of people with all sorts of backgrounds, with all sorts of sins, loving and sacrificing and forgiving one another in Jesus' name. This is how you know that we have a healthy church that not only knows the gospel intellectually, but we're living it out. Secondly, stand firms being, being, uh, means being alert. A soldier who knows that they're in a war or about to enter one knows to be alert and ready to fight. A few years ago, 
Um, and I don't know why I go on roller coasters. Like, one of my biggest fears is, is heights and open waters. So, me, so it's like this weird thing when I go on roller coasters. I'm, like, extremely, at the highest point, like, scared, but I'm, like, excited. And so it's, a, it's just a weird feeling. And so me and my friends decided to go to Wonderland. We go on a bunch of rides, and the last ride we go on is Behemoth. And, or not Behemoth, Leviathan. And we wait for, like, two hours in the scorching hot sun, and we're sweating. And, like, you know how it is. It's, it's dreadful. It was the last ride... Um, and I think Wonderland was about to close at that time. And I don't know where you guys like to sit on, on roller coasters, but I think the best part to sit is right in the front. Because when you get to the top, you get to see everything. But then also, when, you get, when the, the front of the roller coaster gets to the top, you have to, there's sort of like lag time before you drop because the other half of the roller coaster has to catch up. So I like love that part where I'm just sitting and I'm staring out. And we get to the top. And I look down, and I don't know if you remember how the Leviathan, but the, the track looks concave, right? It looks like there's no track there. And so out of fear and out of, like, danger and, and instinct, I throw my elbow back, and I hit my friend right in the eye. <laughs> and so we're, and we're, like, going on this roller coaster, and I'm yelling, and I'm having a good time, and he's holding his face. And, like, trust me, it wasn't a laugh, t- it wasn't, like, a love tap. Like, I, like... Yeah, like I've taken Muay Thai, and I'm in like adrenaline is up here, excitement, nervousness, and so I hit him right in the face. And we're going, his eye was okay after. And a lot of your reaction to danger and warfare isn't to fight. But a lot of you guys have almost a defeated or surrendered mentality when it comes to warfare. When the lies come, you give in to it. When the temptation comes, there's barely any resistance. When suffering happens, you doubt the goodness of God. And these are all victories for the enemy. But if you have a heavenly perspective, we should be alert, standing firm in strength, who is found in Jesus Christ. And to be ready to fight, even in dangerous situations, even in warfare. I have a a whiteboard in my room, which usually I write, depending which season I am, I, I, I write goals down and long-term goals, short-term goals, and this is something that I had on there and something that I still pray for every single day. Today, I will choose life. Today, I will live in victory. The enemy has no place here. Today, I will live in freedom. Today, I am made new. Sin and death is defeated. Jesus has won. This is something that I proclaim every single day. And this is putting on the armor of God. This is being intentional. This is having a heavenly perspective, not a defeated perspective. So you see, putting on the armor of God, being alert and ready for war, instead, when the war comes, then scrambling, then retreating, and then trying to put on prayer, and then trying to put on the word of God. By this time, the enemy probably has some victory over you. So be proactive and be ready and be alert. So when the battle comes, you are already standing in strength. You are already standing in victory. Lastly, standing indicates confidence and victory. When Paul uses this word stand, he isn't saying that we might stand or there's a chance we'll stand. But he is saying you will stand. Remember just a few verses back in in chapter 6, verse 10. Mike preached on this last week. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and his schemes. This victory and confidence that we have was won for us on Calvary. When our Savior died in our place and resurrected from the grave, he conquered sin, death, hell, and Satan. He is our cornerstone. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the anchor to our souls. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the great I Am. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our deliverer. He is our shepherd. He is God with us. He is light of the world. He is our redeemer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the prince of peace. He is the risen Lord of lords and King of kings. His name is Jesus. So standing means standing in unity, standing in alertness, and standing in victory. So Christian, be confident, be bold, and be courageous because the enemy is powerless when the power of the living Christ is in you. Now let's move on to verse 14, uh, the the first part. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now Paul moves uh, to saying, stand again for again for, uh, for the fourth time. Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So Satan in the Garden of Eden tempts Adam and Eve with lies. Eat this fruit and you'll be like God. Satan tempts Jesus after his baptism. Bow down before me and you'll have all the worldly praise. Satan tempts Judas with the lie that if he takes this money, he'll be satisfied. He'll have status. He'll have power. King David is tempted with the lie that if he sleeps with Bathsheba, he'll be fulfilled. All throughout the Bible, people over and over and over again are being assaulted with the lies of the enemy. Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. The reason why so many of you are ridden with guilt and discontent and unfulfillment is because you are giving into, you are giving into some sort of lie of the enemy. Paul says in chapter 4 that, We need to be grounded in knowledge. So this is in Ephesians, a couple couple chapters back. That we need to be grounded in the knowledge of truth and mature so that we won't be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So we need to be mature in the word of God. We need to be be putting these things on every single day. What lies are you believing today? Is it the doctrine that if you just looked more beautiful or you're more handsome, you'd have more worth? Is it the doctrine that if you dress or act a certain way, people will approve of you? Is it the doctrine that if, if is it the doctrine that your singleness is a curse? Is it the doctrine that status, success will bring you real joy? Is it the doctrine that if your kids just make it in life, this will bring you real worth? Is it the doctrine that if you have this type of job, this house, this car, you'll be worth something in this society? Is it the doctrine of, if you're just in love and married to this type of person, you will be fulfilled? The enemy has influenced our culture, our society, media, movies, music, and it's assaulting your your minds every single day with a volley of flaming darts. You're not beautiful enough. You're not tall enough. You're not thin enough. You're not rich enough. You're not successful enough. And the list goes on. If you want to feel guilty and feel all these pressures, just go to Yorkdale for like 20 minutes. You'll feel all of those things. But Jesus, who was perfect, says, with truth, 
and with love. I came and died on a cross for you because you are valued, you are treasured, you are beautiful, you are eternally rich in me. This is the promise of the fulfillment and everlasting joy that the world will never be able to offer you. This is the ultimate truth that we should be pressing into our hearts and minds every single day. A lot of the main problem is that we leave an open door for the enemy. We aren't spiritually training ourselves or putting on the armor of God. Instead of of putting on truth of the Bible, we put on entertainment. Instead of putting on the truth of prayer, we put on social media. Instead of putting on the truth of meditation, we put on laziness. But if we ever want to be rooted in the truth of God, which is good, which is just, which is right, we have to be prepared with the belt of truth to be able to withstand the lies and temptation of the enemy. Whether this be through prayer or scripture reading or Sunday worship or joining a body life group, serving our church, this will all root you in the truth of God and this will help you stand in the toughest times of temptation, affliction, darkness, and lies. The more you try to pursue godliness and righteousness, the more you try to impact this world for the kingdom of God, the more you try to declare the glory and satisfaction of Jesus, the more intense the war will be. The enemy doesn't care about lazy Christians, doesn't care about Christians who are only about the Sunday service, he doesn't care about Christians who are apathetic towards prayer or scripture reading, because those are already victories for him. He trembles and is terrified at those soldiers who are equipped, trained, and are standing firm in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And then Paul moves on to the latter part of verse 14. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. For Christians, this righteousness is vital in order to stand firm. Let me quickly uh, explain what righteousness means in the Bible because We can throw around these words like holiness and righteousness and sometimes might not even know what it means. But in this context, very simply, it means to be right before God. And so what righteousness are we supposed to put on? The righteousness Paul is talking about is the righteousness that is accredited to us by having faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God is holy and just and perfect and we're not. We have sinned and broken his laws. We deserve death and condemnation. But God, out of his goodness, sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins in our place. What does it mean that Jesus died in our place? Like, we hear that all the time as well. On one hand, it means that he died for our sins. But on the other hand, it means that he also lived to make us righteous. All the hells, all the punishment, all the wrath that we deserved was put on Jesus on the cross. While at the exact same time, Jesus, who lived a perfect life without sin, his perfect righteousness is given to us. This is how we stand. It's a free gift. So there's this beautiful exchange that happens on the cross where Jesus gets treated like the sinner, you and me, and we who by faith trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we get treated with all the benefits and all the blessings of somebody who's lived a perfectly righteous life. Uh, last summer, yeah, I, I, or spring, summer, one of those times, I got to visit um, Greece, Athens, 
and this island Santorini. I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's, it's beautiful. It's like breathtaking. And the one place I was really looking forward to was Mars Hill. It's uh, this part in Acts where Apostle Paul goes out and he debates with people and he shares the gospel. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, so that's Mars Hill. That's, it's actually not that amazing. It's just like a rock, a hill. But like you get up to the top and it's, it's beautiful. So in my mind, I'm like, man, how, because I'm, one of my gifts is evangelism. So I'm like, how awesome would it be to get there and meet some heretics and start preaching the gospel to them? <laughs> and so I'm there, I'm standing, I'm like enjoying the view. And I hear people like reading a book and it sort of sounds like truth, but it sort of doesn't. And I look over and it's like four girls sitting together. They're all like dressed the same. They all have like long hair. It's all braided, sort of bizarre. Um, not that braiding your hair is wrong and dressing, but you'll see what I mean. So I, I say, hey, like I have no problem talking to people and approaching people while they're on vacation. I say, hey, like what are you guys, <laughs> what are you, like what are you guys doing here? Not in like a, yeah, like, it's like, hey, like what are you guys doing here? Like, uh, you know, and they're like, we're Mormon missionaries. And I was like, oh, interesting. And I don't tell them that I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to, I'm just, I, didn't tell, I don't tell them I'm a Christian either. I just say, I'm just there. Trying to, trying to figure out truth, and I'm just here on this spiritual journey. And they start talking about uh, Jesus and that you need, it's, it's works, and you need to like work up your own goodness, and you need to be baptized. Like There's some grace in there, but you need to also do these other things. And so at this point, like, I start to get a little twitchy, right? I'm like, oh, this, like, this doesn't sound right. And so I start quoting Bible verses for them. I, I try to point them back to Jesus. I, I start sharing the gospel with them. And, and they just keep, and it wasn't like a, uh, a conversation of like anger or judgment or condemnation. Like we were actually having a really good conversation. And that's how evangelism should be. It shouldn't be condemnation. It shouldn't be judge, judgment. It should be people just sharing uh, what they believe they think is true. And, and so um, they start talking about like um, uh, the, the Mormon book and uh, Joseph Smith and the prophet and things like that. And so we end up talking about all of these things for probably about an hour. And yeah, that's, it's actually the picture's there. I don't look happy. It's, it's probably because I wasn't. I just, I, I, there was like, so when I was talking to them, there was probably maybe four of them. But at the end of it, there was probably about 15 of them all surrounding me. And we're just, we're just chatting. I think she was like the leader on the, on the, on the, in the middle, in the green. Because she was the one that was doing the most talking. All the, all the others were more, I think, like, just there. So if you put on the righteousness of yourself, it will harden your heart. You will always feel like you're falling short and not good enough. You'll feel guilt. You'll feel shame. And this is what the enemy wants you to feel. He doesn't want you to feel like God can love you. He doesn't want you to feel like you can confess your sins. He doesn't want you to feel like God can forgive you. He wants you to feel like his love and his grace and his mercy, it's conditional. It's Jesus plus something. These are all assaults on the gospel because the gospel is not supposed to make you feel burdened, but Jesus said the truth will set you free. Jesus died to turn your guilt into peace. He died to turn your shame into joy. He died, he died to turn your falling short, which we do, into being approved. So stand not in yourself, but in the solid rock foundation and righteousness of Jesus. Trusting in Jesus will give you the power, the confidence, 
and the strength you need, even in the most difficult battles. Then Paul moves on to verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Jesus also says in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Are you a peacemaker? Parents, when your children act out, do you just yell and tear them down and condemn them? Spouses, when your significant significant other wrongs you, is your inclination to make them feel guilty and judged? Friends, when you feel betrayed or used, is your first reaction to abandon and gossip? Professionals, when your coworker or your boss says or does something wrong, do you harness bitterness towards them and don't reconcile? Growing up for myself, I was not a peacemaker. Probably only one person knows that here because they knew how I, I they knew my life before I was a Christian. And this was a huge character flaw of myself. I'd always get into fights with my dad. I was always arguing with my three older brothers. Imagine that. I've been kicked out of school for fighting. I've been arrested for assault. I've been in fights at karaoke bars, pool halls, cyber cafes, back alleys, at other people's schools, in the middle of the streets, in parking lots, on top of taxis, outside of restaurants, inside of literally probably every single nightclub in downtown. No exaggeration. If somebody looked at me wrong, if somebody said something wrong, if somebody bumped my shoulder or even took my parking spot, I would have the readiness of anger. But then I became a born-again Christian seven years ago, and Jesus redeemed all of that. Last time I ran into an old friend, I told him, like, hey, I'm a Christian now, I'm following Jesus, and without even blinking his eyes, he's like, I don't believe you. He's like, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, I told him I just went to Mexico for for, uh, a mission trip, and he's like, I don't believe you. I'll believe it when I see it. I ran into other friends where they would say, like, you were like the worst one. I don't get how you're, I don't get how you're like not in jail. I don't get how you're like not alive, like how you're even alive right now. Like you were the most violent. You were the most angry. And my friends were angry people and they were violent like back then. And so that for them to call me like violent and angry, it's, I wasn't a peacemaker. So I think I made my point. Ezekiel, but here's the beautiful thing, what the gospel does. Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put in a, spirit, uh, put in a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The number one sanctifying agent that we have in this world, the most powerful, transformative thing that we have is the word of God. There's nothing else in the world like the Bible. Prayer and the word of God has been my one-two punch in becoming a peacemaker. That's sort of like a mixed metaphor, but spiritual one-two punch. The sad truth is, (laughs) everyone loves the idea of God in, in receiving peace. Everybody loves singing about peace. Everybody loves reading about peace in the Bible until we have to extend it to somebody else. In the gospel, we have Jesus. He's about to be arrested, and Peter pulls out his sword and like cuts one of the soldier's ears off. And you can get this picture of of Jesus just looking at Peter and saying, dude, I'm like, come on. Like, I've been with you for three years. Like, I'm I'm just not about that life. And so, Peter, let's go through the gospel like one more time, all right? Like, sort of treating him like a kid, like a child. Like, one more time, Peter, all right? 
Blessed are those who are ready to work for peace, for they will be children of God. And then we see Jesus when he's being persecuted, beaten, flogged, spit on, crucified. He stays silent. And in the most intense time of suffering and affliction, one of his last dying words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When do we see Jesus doing this as our model, but also dying for us because we didn't model this, this should radically change the way we live, love, and treat people. We are light of the world. So how can people see Jesus or something attractive or something different if we can't even get along with each other? And so be ready in your marriages, with your children, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, with your coworker or boss, to make peace because Jesus died to make you peacemakers and you should live a life worthy of that gift. Uh, let, me, let me conclude with this, uh, just a few more minutes. If you are a soldier following Jesus, you've probably been wounded. Um, you've probably been scarred. You've probably been hurt. Maybe you're in this season right now. Maybe you felt betrayed. Maybe you've been sinned against. Sometimes the temptation and affliction in the lies of the enemy can just feel so overwhelming. I just want to encourage you guys today that we persevere, we keep fighting, and we don't give up because Jesus is worth it. All the pain, all the blood, all the sweat, all the tears, all the battles fought day in and day out is worth it because in a billion years from now, everything you did for the kingdom and the glory and mission of God will last for all eternity. And one day, you will be in pure, everlasting joy. God is faithful, and he will honor your scars. When we think of soldiers at war, we think of a, a king who stays in their kingdom and sends out troops and sort of like never really gets involved. And in Troy, uh, one of my favorite lines in that movie uh, comes from Achilles when he's, or Brad Pitt, and he's about to fight this, this is too short, I can't reach, but he's like seven foot five, massive, like 250 pound, like heavyweight beast. They're about to fight one-on-one, -on -one. and Achilles, before he walks off, he turns at uh, King Agamemnon, and he says, imagine a king who fights his own battles. Wouldn't that be a sight? And 2,000 years ago, a great king did the great king of heaven, Jesus Christ, left his kingdom to come and fight for us. He didn't get the armor of God. He got stripped naked on the cross. He didn't get truth in his life. He got abandonment and lies. He didn't get a righteous ceremony that he deserved. He was persecuted and treated like a criminal. He didn't get peace. But he got darkness, anguish, and wrath on Calvary. And he did all of this so that we can live a life in victory. And so stand in confidence, stand in boldness, stand in strength, for our victory has already been won. Let's pray. God, thank you that your word has spoken to us. Um, thank you that even though we've walked in here with so many different things, so many issues, so many problems, that Emmanuel, God is with us, that we won't leave here different today. That's, that's my prayer. I know that's your hope. 
Help us to have a heavenly perspective. Help us to put on the armor of God every single day that we would stand in victory, that we would stand in confidence because that's found in Jesus, not in ourselves. So God, we thank you that your son Jesus has conquered sin, conquered hell, conquered the enemy. He's conquered the grave and that he's actually living. He's with us right now in our presence. How amazing is that? So help us experience more of you today. We pray this in the mighty and powerful and victorious name of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.